Hi, everybody. Kevin Sabosky from Fastest Route, where we have a people-centered approach to succeeding at business. We help ambitious solopreneurs go from being okay to thriving in the shortest amount of time. Spencer is here with me today producing. Yo. <laughs> Our guest today is Natalie Zayamana. I was excited to have Natalie on our podcast. We're, we're fairly new friends, but we've had several conversations about the sort of the modern uh, state of business and how the world is changing, but our biz and we need to change how we think about business. Uh, and we just had some great conversations. So I wanted to include you today, Natalie. Uh, would you care to share with the audience what you do in your work? Sure, I'd love to. So at Nuanced, um, we work with holistic well-being and sustainable businesses who are interested in integrating um, crypto and blockchain technology into their infrastructure. Um, and through Harbor, which is our uh, wellness um, holistic well-being product, we help companies and nonprofits um, create wellness programs for their teams, especially executive teams who are dealing with burnout, who are dealing with um, maybe some big existential questions in the middle of their careers about how to move their business towards more ethical and grounding um, terrain. Nice. That's great. I, I, uh, you and I met through a service called Lunch Club, which I, I thought was pretty good. And it's an opportunity to pr introduce people. And so it gave us an opportunity to be introduced. We come from different parts of the world, different circles, but somehow I feel like you and I uh, had a very similar perspective on the state of our business practices and thought processes and how we need to change. And, and you know, to me, we're in this place where our tradition of a sort of business common sense and wisdom comes from the industrial revolution and command and control. Mm -hmm. And there's so many people that are struggling and just don't like that anymore. And we want a different way that's maybe more human centered and more consistent with how we are as people. And, you know, I've been struggling with this for years to try to put words to it and models to it. And I just felt when I met you, uh, we, we had a real kinship there. And in a way, I feel like you have a set of models and a way of looking at it that's more clear than I have. Um, how do you think about, you know, the things that I said, because I've got all my words there, but I think you see, see it in a, see the similar thing, but in a very different way. How do you, what do you think about the state of business and business thought today? Wow. Um, that's really kind, Kevin. And I definitely felt, um, huge kinship over our conversations on lunch club and kind of off the planet too. I felt like we'd, um, uh, off the, off the product too. Um, I, I don't know that I've necessarily been in business long enough to 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 map the the peaks and troughs and the changes or the transformations. I've only really been um, in quotation in entrepreneurship for just over a decade, um, and it feels like a lot's happened in that time. I feel as though there are some unique sort of time and culture specific shifts that we're going through. Um, whether it's to do with financial markets, whether it's to do with like an increased awareness of social justice issues or an increased um, understanding of the importance of well-being, 
those are like definitely generational shifts I can feel. Mm. Um, but I also think the older I get, that the when the the more I grow, that there are some fundamentals that I didn't appreciate when I was a younger entrepreneur. Um, some really boring <laughs> operational fu fundamentals and business mm -hmm. fundamentals that aren't always very sexy in the startup scene because it's often the model, at least in tech startups, has been um, have, have a great idea, fundraise for it, try like hell to get to product market fit, and then maybe in ten, five to 10 years get to profitability. Whereas traditional business model in my dad's generation and um, even my grandfather, both of whom were entrepreneurs, it's like profitability, if you don't reach it, you don't eat. So I think what's happened over the years is I've, uh, as I've moved away from that tech way of thinking is that I've become a lot more obsessed with the bottom line, um, but not from a place of, you know, wanting to have hockey stick curves, but just where I'm a place of, oh, actually, when you have good fundamentals, everything else follows and there's sustainability that can come from that. Yeah, thanks for that. And I'm I'm thinking back, you know, part of what you've helped me with is I'm as I'm sort of defining brand for fastest route. And that's a, a kind of a constant question for all of us is like, who is it? And and I'd ask you that and you said something that to this day sort of really resonates for me is that you said that you give a 3D advice from a 5D perspective. When you first said that, I didn't know what you meant by that. But I thought it was a brilliant sort of um, sort of conflation of those two realities, which is we need to think about sort of these softer things, spirituality, but it's still at the end of the day, you have to sort of lay concrete. You have to, you know, make requests and you have to have, you know, financial systems. Yeah. I don't know. And um and I, you know, and I think that was probably ready to hand for you because you, you, I think that's what you do, right? You, you provide 3D advice from a 5D perspective. You, you care to share with people what, what you meant by that? Because I think it's, it's, it's powerful. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I definitely feel as though um, I had a conversation with, and I, I don't want to sort of <laughs> claim to be the first person to put this thesis out. Um, I had a really great set of conversations with um, uh, Steve Nobel, who's written The Spiritual Entrepreneur, which came out recently, um, and a bunch of other folks who are, who are, you know, one foot in the spiritual world and one foot in the hard 3D world and perhaps see their mission as translating between the two. Um, so this idea has been has been very prevalent for some time. I mean, you also see it in like traditional um, Christian ideologies around servant leadership models, um, which a lot of business folks, I think, really appreciate, especially in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know that it's necessarily new. Um, I think the new age language of 5D, 3D, 4D has become more popular recently, um, and it's given a lexicon that's always really existed, right? So there's a lot of folks who, who've tied in their their business beliefs with their spiritual practices. This is where you, for example, with um, certain types of Sharia law and Muslim banking um, and Muslim financial systems are completely different to Western financial systems. Um, so I think throughout commerce, folks have been have been wondering how do we weave the spiritual into the real world or into the 3d world and i think the one of the conversations we've both had is 
once you've had the experience of making, you know, a certain type of financial goal and hitting it, um, and then making another one and hitting it, it's after the third one, you realize it's not just about money, it's about something a little bit deeper, or at least that's something that we've definitely connected on. Um, yeah. And so when, when that question of, okay, what is that deeper thing that I'm looking for in business? Um, I think that's when the opening happens and you can, you can start to have this weaving of, of um, spiritual and, and 3D concrete. Um, for, for context, I suppose it might be helpful to kind of um, outline what, what I meant by the 3D, 5D um, language. And it was just yeah. a reference to the, the, the sort of new age thought of, of um, us entering into a fifth dimension which is really fun, especially if you're, you've grown up, you know, enjoying nerdy sci-fi references. It doesn't feel too far beyond the pale. Um, but the idea that this 3D reality is, in, is incredibly dense um, and full of suffering and full of complex um, sort of embodied experiences, which can feel quite painful and confusing. And then you kind of head into the fourth dimension, which is often referred to as, as the astral realm or the space in which, you know, you have dreams um, and, and your consciousness is aware of more than just the 3D reality that your physicality is experiencing. And then the, the idea here is that we're moving towards, or at least a lot of folks want to consciously move the planet towards, um, towards um, 5D and, um, this is what I imagine Eckhart Tolle in A New Earth means by this place where it's not necessarily that we've transcended all, all pain and suffering, but we're more able to exist um, without that as the core sort of grounding mechanism of existence, right? So it's like, mm-hmm. it's like changing the natural law from gravity into love or something else. Mm. Um, and the density, the density of the experience changes as you as you go up these dimensions. Um, but it's also not to say that you. I, I'm not of the school of thought that you have to transcend pain or transcend suffering completely. I think it's just opening oneself to experiencing more than just pain and more than just suffering. And that's what mm. I really appreciate about the the some some New Age teachings, which I think that they do that really well in terms of. Um, explaining sort of classical existential challenges and questions around consciousness for for a modern audience. Yeah, I I feel like you know a lot of what p- the the world is experiencing is this um, this dissatisfaction with the interpretation that you're going to slave away and be disrespected for the sake of a small amount of money. In other words, I feel like there's sort of the, the business reality of the past. And certainly, you know, as I was growing up, you suck it up, you know, your boss tells you what to do and you just take it. And there's a certain sort of disrespect or lack of humanity for the sake of profits, right? So you put profits before people. And I think that's, to me, that's sort of this, this feeling that I get about the, the marketplace and it, um, and I don't know whether that corresponds to to what you're speaking of, but it's like, you know, can we have, you know, a little more humanity in our in how we go about business? 
and 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 I, I you know, what resonated for me is when, you know, love as much as a lot of people might resist including love in business. I think it's such an essential part of of not only business that is satisfying, but ultimately business that's profitable as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think it is important to um, to have that as a sort of north star. Something that was really helpful um, for me in terms of shifting my my um, naive idealism about startups was tracing the the kind of history of capitalism to racial capitalism and to understanding um, just what the last sort of millennia of trade has looked like around the world. And it, from my perspective, it's really difficult to divorce the profit mechanisms that we see at play from um, what is essentially a long history of slavery, indentured servitude, and just you know a system built on exploitation and inequality. And there are lots of movements around um, trying to reform that system, trying to think about conscious capitalism, but essentially, capitalism is defined by exploitation. It's, impo it's impossible to divorce those two things from each other. And so one of the things I want us perhaps to touch on is that in order for us to think about humanity, we have to recognize the ugliness of humanity and what happens, yeah. what has happened with humanity so far. Um, and to say that, well, I, I, I think capitalism has been very human so far. It's, it's been full of a lot of human traits that we perhaps don't want to recognize in ourselves. Um, a lot of shadow, shadow aspects that we don't want to recognize in ourselves. I think the broader question for me as I move forward is, how can I be personally aware and personally accountable to, to all of these aspects? Um, how can I make amends where I need to? How can I make different types of decisions? that are supportive of the kind of 5D experience that I'd like to be a majority experience for myself and those who my life touches on. Um, and then also to say that it's really tempting to, to move into to wanting a new ideology to fix the old ideology. Um, mm. And I think I was talking to one of my business partners um, and we were talking about how we try really hard to meditate on, on whether we're making decisions from a place of ego or from a place of heart and service and serving the collective. And we often find as soon as we shift into the latter, there's more profits than if we had stayed mm. in the former. Um, we're not trying to necessarily name that or, or align that with a specific um, ideological set of beliefs but rather be accountable to that as a meditative practice in our daily, daily work. Um, and I've learned a lot of those practices from him. So I, I feel as though there's this really generous passing it forward that's happening and it's very soft and it's very gentle and, and it doesn't necessarily need to have like a big name or a big stamp on it. And I've definitely learned a lot from you too, um, Kevin, in that regard. Well, thank you. It's, it it is you know it's been interesting to watch because i've been doing this a long time and and you know as as millennials and the and the millennial there's a certain disdain that that people my age and older have towards millennials and it drives me crazy because it's it's uh you know people my age and older 
you know, you sold your soul uh, for money and a title, in a way. And, and you know, and there's a certain sort of economic benefit that came from that, which sort of they still hold as this pragmatic reason why you shouldn't be what they think of as Pollyanna, right? That, you know, oh gosh, you just want to have, do great things. But when I, when I see the trend with millennials to say, you know, I want to do work, but I want to do good work. I want to do good work that's good for people. And I want to be treated with respect. And that to me is that perspective that they brought onto the business scene. And, and I, you know, I struggle with some of my clients who, who don't understand that this is a, a, an evolution. And one of the things that I struggle with is I do see, kind of see both sides. And I think, you know, you're talking about it is humanity because, you know, because of the, the way that the system has been put in place and the way people are, are you know, living it. A lot of younger people are looking at, well, money is bad and capitalism is bad. And I, I just, it's, it's such a, a simplification. And part of what I think is like, it doesn't matter what system we put in place. As you said, we still have that shadow part of ourselves. We will mess it all up. I don't care what you say. And, uh, um, and, you know, I always have this interesting reaction when I talk to you, because I think that we have, I think we say things sort of coming from a different place, but I feel like it's the same thing. Am I, mm. I, I feel like in a way I'm paraphrasing what you said in a, in a way that sort of fits my history, but I, but then I think maybe I'm not, maybe I'm just totally getting, you know, not getting it. <laughs> yeah. Is it, I think there's a huge generational um, conversation that needs to be had. And I think conversations like this are super helpful for that. So, so do you think capitalism is bad, Natalie? Mm, I don't know if I believe in the binary. I think it's, um, it is what it is, you know? I think it has, um, I think the foundations of capitalism are a little bit rotten. Um, given that it was based on slavery, so it, it would be very difficult to 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 recognize its its beauty without that reckoning having to take place first. Um, I I don't think trade is bad. I don't think people building businesses is bad. I think people building um, I think people building things that are of value to other people is always wonderful. I, w I wouldn't be doing what I do now if I didn't believe that. But I think that we, if we are talking about capitalism, we have to be careful to define our terms. Um, yeah. And if we were to talk about free market capitalism, that's not what exists now. You know, there's a lot of monopolies. No. There's a lot of um, regulatory advantages. There's a lot of... Um, um, international trade that is very skewed so yeah. i don't i don't i don't think that's good um but i think people building things that are valuable to other people and people creating value in the form of jobs in the form of things that are sustainable and sustaining to to their communities is really good i really do believe that 
Yeah, I guess that's part of the, you know, my reaction to that is capitalism is bad. First of all, it's like all the systems are bad because we're, you know, because there's going to be some percentage of people that are going to game it to their their way. But, you know, I've worked with small business owners and I see so much goodness, you know what I mean? And so so to me, capitalism, that, that uh, a profit motive where you own the means of production um, it is at a small scale, I think, a thing of beauty. You know, I was... I think of my friends that are uh, photographers and have their own business. It's like, do we not want them to do that? But there, I do agree that there's, it's the sort of the government, any system we put in place requires some governance. And I think it's the governance of that system that's failed the world over because rich people have gained, you know, billionaires have gamed the system to get more and more power. Yeah. Um, I think the gaming is definitely a challenge, but I also think the foundations of the system can be rotten to begin with, you know, like if you, if you, if you need to enslave people to build commerce, that's just probably not a good vibe. <laughs> yeah, I'm 100%. Wait, yo, yo, tuning yeah. in, it's Spencer with a question. Uh, that's not something I've ever heard before, and I find that very interesting. Can you tell me a little bit about the the like the the foundations of slavery in capitalism? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, um, but it's definitely something I came across um, through friends of mine who work in in black studies, um, which is a field of study related to to black life um there's a there's something called racial capitalism that you might find interesting um it was a concept coined by cedric j robinson in his book black marxism the making of the black radical tradition and i can just read you um a little bit about it which he he theorizes that all capitalism was inherently racial capitalism um and that it and racialism is present in all layers of capitalism's socioeconomic stratification. And so he states that capital can only accumulate by producing and moving through relations of severe inequality among human groups. Therefore, for hmm. capitalism to survive, it has to exploit and prey upon unequal difference of human value. Um, and so one way we might see that is that, well, I mean, the history is, is slavery, and then more, more, more recently, we can see that, um, yeah, I, I, I find it hard to think of an example where, where capitalism doesn't require some people to get paid less than others and seeing who gets paid less than others. For example, in general, women get paid less than men, right? Um, and so that's an inequality amongst, amongst genders in general folks of color get paid less than white folks, a lot less. Um, and so that's how capitalism keeps playing out. Hmm. Thank you for the context. No worries. Yeah, I, I appreciate that too. I hadn't really heard of it. When I think of capitalism, I picture, you, you know, London's factories and things like that. Um, but it's interesting you say that because, you know, London, London's factories, London made its money on um, sugar and a bunch of other, all the industrial revolution needed the colonies, enslaved plantations to send ships to London to produce. Hmm, interesting. She's got a point. She has <laughs> got a point. That's, that's why I like Natalie, yeah. 
Uh, Natalie, would you care to? So, so I, I, I do think we come at at different ends to get to meet in this place. Would you share with our audience sort of your history, how you how you came to be you, and and uh, you know what what shaped a lot of your thoughts? And <laughs> I feel like my thoughts are still being shaped, <laughs> but um, yeah, um, but um, sure, I'm happy to provide some context. So I studied. Um, philosophy and politics at undergrad and um, then worked for a technology company in Cambridge for a few years, um, working in doing rotations in, in IT, so business analysis, um, uh, solution architecture for a little bit, um, and a bunch of different sort of smorgasbords of IT things, which were really fun. Um, and then and then I decided to branch out and start a digital agency called Nuanced, which I still do, um, which was really interesting. And I got to meet a, a bunch of interesting folks. We worked on mostly digital strategy projects and marketing projects um, between here and North America. And then um, just decided maybe I wanted to do a master's um, to study the internet a little bit more closely. Did that for a little bit, dropped out to write a book, which I'm still working on. Um, and now I'm based in Mexico, um, where I'm working on the agency, the book, and uh, some holistic stuff, which has been really, really fun. Now, you've been traveling a lot lately. What's your, what's yeah. your, what's your story there? Yeah, I mean, I, I've always traveled quite a bit. Um, my, my parents have traveled quite a lot, and my mom had a job that took her traveling quite frequently and, and would often drag me around with her. Um, but more recently, I've been in Mexico for a little while, the Azores, um, which was really, really interesting, and um, uh, and basically London. I think after the, the borders opened, I, I wanted to stretch my legs a bit. Um, and those two spots have been really lovely. Nice. Yeah. So. I uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, you know that the, the the way that people come to a certain place and and um, and I think one of the things that you and I agree on is that this sort of ethical moral uh, humane or whatever word you would insert in there because um, kind loving you know that that the thinking of business from a, a love perspective actually produces better profits because. You know, I encounter a lot of people that have a very spiritual orientation, and I think of that as a spiritual orientation. Um, and and we tend to uh, sometimes I find I we tend to be different in that. You know, the the way I got here was really trying to figure out you know a couple of decades or thirty years of of this inquiry and how do you get the most out of teams? How do you be the best leader? How do you produce the greatest goals? And I really was looking at it from, you know, a pretty fundamental business objective. I mean, where money is a huge part of that. Um, you know, you can have, bet, you know, other business goals, but it's about how to succeed as business. And so in my lifelong inquiry into that, where I've ended up is, you know, the real secret to how to how to have the best, most productive, most profitable, impressive business is to treat people well. It's just this really funny thing. And so, you know, a lot of people just got there from a moral perspective. I really got there from a pragmatic perspective. You know, when I ran my business, I had 30 people. 
And it was profound what they would do because I really did care about them. I really did value them. I really did, you know, see them as, you know, treated them as human beings, not robots or resources. Um, and so, there, and I was on somebody else's podcast and I brought up the centrality for me of purpose in someone's business. And he felt the need to like say, well, my listeners are going to wonder if that's just a Pollyanna kind of a thing where, yeah, that's neat and everything, but I'll never make a profit. And I just, it's just, it's funny to me that this is still sort of this abstract uh, concept that people don't believe in, but, but you got there as well. Yeah. What, is that? Well, how, mm -hmm. what do you think about that in terms of, you know, purpose and meaning and spirituality and love producing profit? How does that work? Why? I think um, I, I don't know. I don't know what the mechanics are, but it feels as though the more aware I've been of all the contours of myself, or increasing contours of of the terrain of myself, the more um, I'm able to recognise whether something is coming from ego or not. Um, so I think it's less to do with like I'm an enlightened person, therefore I make more money. It's like the more enlightened I am, the more responsibility I, I have to be accountable to doing less of the bullshit I used to do. Um, mm. And then by virtue of doing less um, ego-driven and suboptimal things, there's more space for abundance to arrive. Um, so I actually think it's, it's partly, you know, love and, and grace and, and all those sort of beautiful alpha chakra emotions, but it's also... The responsibility of clearing those lower chakras, right? The responsibility of of mm. of clearing the crap. You can't get to the good stuff without clearing the crap. Um, has been my experience. Is that a part of your consulting practice with your clients? Is that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely have a lot of um, a lot of my client engagements on the holistic side have been about you know clarifying where we're going and so with harbor the holistic practice that the well-being work that we do with um with teams um it's separated into those three three segments of the chakras where we look at anchoring self which is that lower chakra piece of the root chakra looking for stability the sacral chakra you know really thinking about what our desires are um and how we can tap into our our senses and then um, the solar plexus, which is all about that willpower, drive and determination piece. And so you really, mm. I think it's, from my experience, it's so important to take care of those, those three pieces before getting into those um, more ephemeral ideas of love and, and grace and, and purpose. Um, because mm. if, if, if I'm not grounded, I don't feel able to sustain love or able to sustain grace. It's very sporadic. Um, and I think that's true of businesses as well. Like you can, you can really get onto a roller coaster if the fundamentals aren't there. Um, mm. And so, so we have that anchoring self piece and then we've got the finding clarity, which is where we kind of go into purpose um, and love. That's, that's where that really happens. And then, Finally, um, setting sail, which is all about the, the communication, the intuition, and, and more of the spirituality. Which, so we kind of cover those seven chakras through that work. Um, 
More broadly, I think, you know, spirituality is, is I find it, it, you know, exotic and um, intoxicating when it's, when it's literature and when it's meditation and when I can get into a trance state. It just feels amazing that, like, your mind and body are even able to, like, reach that. Um, I feel like the real challenge these days is like, okay, I've got to do my taxes. What's spiritual about taxes, you know? <laughs> and how can I, yeah. how can I turn bookkeeping into a spiritual practice? How can I turn um, having difficult conversations into a spiritual practice? And I've got a yoga teacher who's always saying like, the real yoga begins off the mat. And I agree with that. And I think that's, if we can get to that place where we really are bringing 5D into 3D and we're collectively as a business community trying to do that um, and first beginning with ourselves. I think, I think we're on the right path and I, I see so much evidence of that. Wow, that's brilliant. That's really, this has been a, a great for learning for me is that, you know, I spend a lot of time with my clients thinking about purpose and I, and I, absolutely find that it's, 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 it's with some people a nearly impossible conversation. And so when I talked and I, I, the way that I, I've been thinking about it is that we just don't have good standard practices for dreaming and thinking about, you know, what we want, but you've opened up this other interpretation of, you know, what's the work to be done. Uh, that's, that's very interesting to me because I, you know, we're not very good with purpose. Uh, and love, and so what you're saying is, well, we we haven't really been we haven't been grounded, and and in thinking of some of those people that I've had particularly difficult times with, where they just stare at me like, what are you talking about? Uh, you know, I'm paying my bills. What do you mean? It's like, no, what feels you with joy? And it's and when I think about them, they are some of the least grounded. You know, that, that I mean, they probably haven't done that that fundamental work, and so. You know, that's an interesting insight for maybe some of the people that are listening that, you know, haven't really thought about or aren't crystal clear about what their purpose is and what, what brings them meaning. It may be, you know, important to first look somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, you know, to, to, to quote that classic sort of California, like, everyone's on their own journey, dude. Like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, like so that's one thing like everyone's on their own path and it, it's it's going in different um, one thing I did come across a little while ago which was really helpful was this idea that there are just infinite roads to enlightenment and um, mm. for some people that might be a very bookish approach um, to the path of study for some people it might be the path of service for other people, it might be just a path of duty and obligation, like paying, like some for some people, paying their bills um, and paying, like doing taxes is a, is a form of enlightenment. And I think it's important mm. to, to not, or at least from my perspective, it's like we're all trying to get to the same place. We're all, as Ram Dass says, like walking each other home. It doesn't really matter how we get there. Um, or the, the road that we take getting there, as long as we're kind of holding each other's hands as we do. Um, mm. And so I know that the big existential question of purpose is a, is a huge one, but I think that changes a lot. Like 
one person's yeah. purpose in one chapter of their life might be to be a great student and another person's purpose in another chapter of their life might be to be an amazing caregiver or an amazing parent you know in another chapter they might they might take on um creating a beautiful home for their community like the purpose is always shifting and so the question is what happens between the breaths hmm. <laughs> Natalie, it's always a delight to talk with you. I always learn something, and and uh, and I not only always learn something, but I also uh, you also make me aware of of the gaps where I have other things to learn, and so that always excites me. That you know, I talk to you every time we talk. I think, oh, I got to read more about that. I have to go in that direction, and so. Thank you for that. Thank you for bringing that to me, and thank you for bringing that to our audience. No, thank you for the great um, questions. It's really it's it's helping me think, and maybe I'm also just like I don't always have a purpose. Like <laughs> some yeah. some weeks I can't have like these big these big existential spiritual like why am I here? Because I've got to pay the bills, right? Like <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's my purpose in that moment. Yeah. So Natalie, if somebody's listening to this and they and they love what you're saying and then thinking, you know, she would be of help to me. Mm -hmm. How how would they how would should they think about that? You know, what sort of help do you bring and how, and how should they contact you? Yeah, I would love to connect with folks in your audience. Um, so on Twitter, I'm at Natalie is online. Um, so you can always drop me a DM sort of if, if this conversation resonated with you. Um, through Nuanced, uh, we help businesses, any business, a small business, um, to large in the, anyone who's trying to build that new earth, basically, is our thesis, right? Anyone who wants to bring more, more clarity, awareness, purpose, like you said, um, to, to their work. And our tagline is alchemy for pioneers. And so we really want to help anyone who's trying to bring, um, this new vision of earth, um, uh, to light with our um, strategy, marketing, and blockchain support. So if you're building a business, if you're um, in the sustainability space, in the holistic space, in the well-being space, and you think, wow, what, what Natalie is talking about with regards to nuanced um, and their mission and values really resonates, I'd love to chat. Um, or if you're a business leader and you're finding that you're finding a lot of challenges around leading um, as the world is going through a lot of different shifts um, or you want to bring your leadership team um, on a journey with you to create more um, clarity and purpose uh, through well-being um, you can contact us through harbor um, and i'll leave all of that information with kevin and his team so that will go up with this podcast beautiful well, thank you very much, Natalie. Uh, once again, always great to speak with you. I uh, hope your travels are satisfying and and uh, fruitful. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was really, really lovely chatting, and these questions have been so helpful for me as well. Like, uh, I think I've cornered myself spiritually by by revealing that my purpose is to just get shit done right now. So, <laughs> but right. <laughs> yeah. I, I probably need more of that right now. Yeah. Some of that rub off. Definitely. All right. Thank you very much, Natalie. Take care. Thank you.